0: Hi, I'm Coach John Cook, and thanks for joining us for today's episode of the Talking Hoops podcast. Excited to have as my guest today, Coach Dave McQuinney. He is the head boys basketball coach at Toledo Christian High School in Toledo, Ohio. A 19-year career that's seen him win more than 300 games. Uh, And he had the honor and privilege of coaching his son this year as a senior who had an outstanding year. And I'm just looking forward to our visit today with Dave McQuinney of Toledo Christian High School. Hi, my guest today is David McQuinney, the head boys basketball coach at Toledo Christian School, and um, for those of you who are listening to the podcast, this will sound like a first run. Trust me when I tell you it's not. Uh, David and I tried to get this done uh, a couple of days ago and just had some some phone connection issues, and really, Coach, I think we completed what was a pretty good hour, and I hate to have to do it again because it's hard to recreate the authenticity of the first time, but our listeners won't know, but you and I will. Uh, it sounds like things are a little better connection-wise this time around, so uh, welcome back to the program, I guess I should say.
1: Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to it, and it uh, should be a good hour.
0: Well, I'm hoping so, and the biggest reason I'm hoping so is, is like I said to you before, I think that people's stories just seem to resonate. Uh, most of our listeners, if not all of them, are are, are people in the coaching profession or uh, with, a, with a great interest in it, and, and I think the stories are where the, the strength lies. And, and for people who don't know your story, I said you're the head boys basketball coach at Toledo Christian School. You've been there for 19 years and had a really remarkable amount of success in a 19-year run as the head coach. But talk to uh, our listeners a little bit about your background, where you went to high school, uh, where you grew up, what, what that led to in college, and maybe as much as anything else, just get into um, what it was about your background and, and your experiences that kind of guided you toward coaching.
1: Sure. Uh, I grew up in Perrysburg, Ohio, and, and grew up in playing junior jackets and went uh, to Prairiesburg schools through seventh grade and transferred over to Toledo Christian uh, where I now coach uh, as an eighth grader and had a wonderful experience there played under a coach Doran Snyder uh, who took over my sophomore year uh, kind of out of necessity uh, halfway through the year and, and we had a great two and a half years with Doran and and then I went on and uh, went to Taylor University for college and played soccer there under a really good head coach and, and shortly after school uh, decided to see or basically ask to see if I could help as an assistant coach in basketball and soccer. I did that for a few years, but basketball was kind of always my first love and and
0: kind of worked my way back towards there and eventually took over as the head coach. So while you're spending time at, at two different schools growing up, Perrysburg, which is a much larger school system, obviously, than, than what is typical, one of the larger school systems in, in northwest Ohio, Uh, Were there differences in terms of the cultures of the programs that you played? And you said you were at Perrysburg through seventh grade and then eighth grade through twelfth at at Toledo Christian. What were some of the differences you experienced as a player? Well, Perrysburg was very established. Larry Clark was uh, a
1: tremendous coach and and did a great job even coming down and working with the youth programs. Some of the things that I picked up as a a little kid and my love for high school sports uh, that I picked up from Coach Clark carry over even to what I try to do with our little kids in camp. Um, but he was always around Junior Jackets, always around that. And did a, they did a great job teaching fundamentals. When I left Perrysburg as a seventh grader, I was probably the seventh or eighth best kid in the in the grade. Um, I, I hadn't hit a growth spurt yet, and it just kind of was – I was there, and I, I, enjoyed, I loved playing basketball, but I don't know if I would have stayed there if, if it would have flourished for me. Um, I moved uh, as an 8th grader to Toledo Christian, and at that point, um, the school was only on its second year of varsity basketball, so it was a very, very young program. Uh, No winning tradition yet, and and quite frankly, no basketball tradition yet, but there were a couple people in the school that loved basketball and wanted to see things grow the right way, Um, and and they had a huge impact on me. And That was one of the things in high school that uh, my coach, Dornsider, always talked about was you, you basically have to play for respect every time you're out there because nobody knows who we are yet. and and my senior year we had a, the opportunity to win the first tech championship. and I think we went nineteen and three my senior year. but it was one of those things where that respect um, kind of chip on our shoulder was was always there. it was it was uh, drummed into us and 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 even to this day, I still you know remember some of the conversations about schools, you know saying, well, you can, we don't have a varsity game. But if you want to play RJV, you know, things like that, 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 uh, you know, just kind of stick with you and, and it's kind of fun when you, when you grow as a program
0: through that. Well, you, you actually just enunciated the exact phrase I was sitting here thinking and jotting down in in my notes is I believe that there's a healthy way to have a chip on your shoulder. I obviously there can be a very unhealthy way to go through life with a chip on your shoulder, but athletically speaking and competitively speaking, I think there's a a certain amount of healthy chip on your shoulder that can be good for you. And I was going to ask if you felt like that. Served as a motivator for you uh, as a high school player. What year did you graduate high school and head off to college?
1: I, I graduated high school in 92 and then uh, graduated from Taylor University in 96.
0: Okay, and, so, and you go to Taylor, when you went to Taylor, were you recruited there as a soccer player or you went there and just opted to play soccer? Um, I,
1: I was recruited to some degree. I mean, I, I went and started there, and when the coach, I kind of fell in love with the school first and met the coach, and, and he found out. That I was a pretty good soccer player and, and uh, showed a lot of interest and quite frankly I met with the basketball coach too and I, I think I could have played basketball there as well but I just had more interest shown from the soccer coach and decided to go that route and, uh, and had, a, had a really fun time and we, had a, we won a lot of games and several championships when I was in college and just had a tremendous
0: experience with that. What was the influence, if there was a, a a really measurable influence, what was the influence on you as a potential coach that, that you gained from your soccer experience in college?
1: My coach was one of the most disciplined, my college soccer coach was one of the most disciplined uh, men that I've ever met and around, a tremendous mentor of, of young people, um, and, and really molded me in a lot of ways. One of the things that early in my career when I was there, he had a philosophy where We ran like crazy. We wanted to be the best conditioned team. As I got to my junior year, he he flipped and he went, especially the second half of the year, always uh, our camp, our conditioning camp or pre camp that we called it, um, was always super tough. But as we got into the season, he, he basically came up with the philosophy less is more and he wanted our legs to be fresh late in the season, and we had tremendous success both my junior and senior year. More so, guys just really wanted to continue to play, and we were fresh, and we were having fun, and I've carried that over, you know, especially as we start to get once the game's and especially the second half of the season, the new year flips in basketball. I try to make sure our guys' legs stay healthy, and, you know, that's something that, that has been a Big thing, but I really picked that up from my college soccer coach, and I've I've heard a lot of basketball coaches kind of echo those same things. as you want guys hungry, you want their legs, you know, the legs feed the wolf, and if the legs aren't there in in March, you're not going to be there either.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting, Dave, because I mean, in the last 15 years, maybe, but certainly the last 20, um, there's just been almost an across-the-board move to shortening things up as the season moves on, and. And there are a, a few guys, notably, that don't do that. I've I've heard Huggins say he's going to practice two and a half or three hours. That's what he's going to do. It doesn't matter. But but most people have shortened those things and 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 shifted their focus in terms of how they condition athletes. So uh, we'll, we'll we'll get into it a little bit more probably later on in terms of a lot of those things. But how how do you when you set about trying to determine a conditioning program? How do you set up your preseason and versus what you what changes do you make in terms of? how you go about it. I know you shorten things, but what's your preseason conditioning going to look like compared to what you do to maintain conditioning once you get in season?
1: Well, our preseason, you know, being in such a small school and with kids that play a lot of sports. We have a lot of soccer players, football players, cross country, and even golfers. So we have four sports in a in a division four school that's pretty unique. Um, so typically we only have a handful of kids that are part of our lifting preseason conditioning sometimes it can end up getting up to eight eight or ten but a lot of times it might only be four or five so we want to keep them busy and and certainly have opportunities for them to lift and and run and get it get you know in shape but it's not a huge I wouldn't consider that a huge part of our program certainly have to do it but it's you know a lot of our kids are playing fall sports once we start practice you know that conditioning um, mostly is done during drills we try to keep practice very upbeat And we, you know, we get up and down the court a lot with different drills and try to get their wind going through that and through defensive drills, but we don't spend a ton of time on sprinting. Um, I'd rather spend the time on, on building skills and building teamwork. And, and we feel like we can do that through our practice. So, um, you know, every now and again, there may be a game early in the year where, where our wind isn't quite there, but, but, uh, for the most part, a lot of times the first few games, you're rotating a little more anyways. And, uh, feel like as the season wears on, our guys are in, are in game shape, you know, certainly by Christmas.
0: Did you have any opportunity other than initial conversations to, to cross paths with Coach Patterson, the basketball coach, when you were at Taylor?
1: I, I took a class with him. He is absolutely fantastic. Uh, and, and I went to a couple coaching clinics and still actually look back at some of the notes we've used. Uh, he came up with the phrase, the game honors toughness. Stevens actually made it popular. I know Whitmer uh, basketball when Bruce Smith was there and put it on their shirts, but we've we've had it on some of our stuff too. Um, just just a tremendous, tremendous basketball coach. Um, and and you know, it's it's one of those things I look back and I think I would have greatly enjoyed playing for him. You know, some of my friends that were at Taylor were on the basketball team and, and had great experiences there, but um, yeah, he, he won games that he should have never won and a, I got to sit through a coaching class with him, and and greatly enjoyed that in college. So yeah, my past uh, ran across. I don't know. He would, he may or may not remember me. Um, obviously playing another sport and being in there, but certainly uh, I enjoyed my time around him.
0: You know, I, I was really fortunate. I, the the one spring that I was slated to to become the head coach at Upper South Valley, where I graduated from, and was working between uh, about 2001 and 2009. Uh, The one spring I was slated to take the head coaching job and and, and went to the clinic there at Taylor. Coach Patterson uh, had Don Meyer come in and and the two of them. And and there was a third speaker that was kind of a substitute. They had someone else booked. I think they had a third coach booked and that had a late cancellation. But I can just remember Coach Patterson just being such a wonderful communicator. Uh, about the way he saw the game and the way he taught the game. And it was really fun to sit through a clinic with those two guys because very different personalities, but uh, really effective communicators. And I, I came away from that one-day clinic with as much energy and motivation to get back into some of the things that we really teach and really evaluate. And and I picked a phrase up uh, during that clinic that Coach Patterson, I think, gets a lot of credit for also was that he coined. And I hear the Ohio State staff use it a lot, obviously, Uh, Coach Holtman is is a Taylor grad, but uh, they talk about the monotony of excellence, and I absolutely absolutely love that phrase because I think it really epitomizes sometimes if 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 you want to separate yourself from other teams, other programs, or individually if you want to separate yourself from other players, sometimes it can get a little monotonous. There's some tedium involved, and you got to own it and you got to embrace it. And I always felt that that was. Uh, something that was really beneficial to me and my outlook on coaching, but I guess the reason I asked about whether or not you crossed paths with, with him at, at, while you were on campus is I'm, I'm curious to know uh, you know, when it was that you kind of figured out that coaching basketball was something you really wanted to pursue and, and the, the, the people that were the main influences on pushing you that direction.
1: Well, I, I came out of Taylor and, and went into financial services uh, working for a large investment firm and and the opportunity came up to help as an assistant and there was definitely some overlap with work that was a little bit tough to work around um but i i my boss at the time fortunately said yeah if you want to do that you know as long as you make it work and you come back after after uh, your coaching time to finish up your hours we'll allow you to do so And that very first year um you know we we weren't very good i think we won six games that year when i was an assistant but I had the opportunity to coach, uh, be the head coach one night because the coach had surgery, and we knocked off uh, Emmanuel Baptist at the time. Now it's Emmanuel Christian, but Lionel Armstead who went to West Virginia and is actually Emmanuel Christian's coach now. Was a junior, and it was a huge upset. We weren't supposed to beat him, and we we made a basket with I don't know seven or eight seconds to go to put us up one, and uh, ended up pulling you know pulling a just a tremendous win out. And it was one of those feelings that. You have that you look and say well, I think I might want to do this someday and I think that was a big influence and and uh, then was able to coach for three years under rod right nower and moved to Chicago with financial services with a great company over there and the opportunity came up to be for the head coaching job and I applied and you know it' was just one of those things that I didn't know if that opportunity would ever come back up but I I knew I loved being around kids and the game of basketball and you know, even though it was kind of some sacrifices for my career, I'm, I'm super happy that I made that jump.
0: Well, it, it sounds like a fascinating thing. And I, I've always been interested in guys who work outside the school and, and, and are effective coaches, because I think that's a different challenge and a whole different deal. And it's much more common uh, today than it used to be. But I obviously uh, you, you're a guy that embraced it and has made it work. Describe the um, I, I guess describe the program. That, that you inherited when you took over the program, what kind of shape was the program in and and, and what were the things that you, that you focused on and felt like I, I, th- these are the priorities that we've got to get kind of established or turned around or, or maybe, maybe reestablished. What was your focus coming in in that first year as a head coach? With well, the program had uh, somewhere
1: around 11 straight losing seasons at that point. Um, but what, what happened was the coach before me, Ron right now, who had been there four years, was building, and you could see it coming. If he would have been able to stick around, he would have won, um, but he had started building the elementary program four years before, so those kids were now eighth graders. Um, my first year in that eighth grade team and the seventh grade team, I think, both won the championship in middle school, so you could see there was a lot of talent that was starting to come through um, the building, and it was... It was growing. And then the high school level, um they had graduated everybody, and and we didn't necessarily have a ton of talent, but we had a bunch of guys who who um, wanted to turn things around. And we um, had a chance to meet with them and talk to them about setting some goals and things that good programs do. And they made up their mind that they wanted to play summer basketball. Um, the first year that I was there, we got hired kind of late, but we did get a handful of tournaments in and did well. The second year, we played forty games in the summer. And it was really we got to compete with some teams that were considered much better than us, and it kind of opened our kids' eyes that hey, we could we could turn the corner as a program. And by year three, we were starting to win. It took me it took until year three we went thirteen and ten my third year, and then we won sixteen year four. And we pretty much I think we had one year where we were twelve and ten since then, but most every other year's been fifteen wins or more. And and but it just you know it took a few years to get that going. But once those middle schoolers came up. They they basically set the tradition and it's kind of been followed ever since.
0: And and when you when you talk about having that kind of success, I mean, relative obviously when you're living through it in three years to get to a winning record feels like a lot longer uh, when you're living it than it does maybe to the outsiders looking in. But what I mean, could you could you list some things that you specifically attribute the, the turnaround to? Were there any areas of growth, particularly for your program, areas of growth for you as a coach, areas where you felt like uh, what would you identify as as the things that were kind of the turning points?
1: Well, one of the first things that we did my first year we tried to find good mentors, and I, I co-coached the the very first three years. I co-coached with Drew Popejoy. Drew was tremendous working with kids. He, he was a lot more mature, a few years older than me not not a lot older, but really good at at the psychology of working with kids and getting them to, to come up with plans to meet their goals. And we did that from from day one of, we tried not to make it our summer program. We tried to make it, hey, what do you guys want to accomplish? And how do you think you need to get there to accomplish it? And we've tried to do that ever since of, not just telling kids, hey, this is what you have to do. You know, Tell me what you want to do. Do you want to be a college player? Do you want to be a pro player? Do you want to be whatever you want to be? And, you know, if you say you want to be a Division One college player and you're only going to the gym 45 minutes a day, you're you're kind of kidding yourself. Um, but it, it's the same thing, you know, if you want to win a state title, there's 200 teams that we're competing against. We've got to be better than all 200. And, and so you've got to set goals that, that kind of match that. Um, when early on we set uh, one of our priorities was shooting at least 30 minutes every day, uh, we went and met with um the worthington christian coach um race lego he actually was at cedarville Uh, he uh, won a state title at Worthington christian was in the state finals another time and and just had a ton of success down there but he went to cedarville uh college or cedarville university and uh was having success there but when we met with him one of his non-negotiables was 30 minutes of shooting every day we started that year one and and really have carried that up uh, forward with our program for the last 19 years it's it's a non-negotiable even if practice gets cut short we want to make sure we get our 30 minutes in uh we really believe that great shooting you know you win a lot of games if you can get guys that can knock down open shots and you can have all the plays best plays in the world but at the end of the day you got to be able to knock shots down and and uh i think that was a huge thing and then then you know early on we always tried to schedule teams that were that we considered better, you know, at the time, you know, some of the standard teams, the Holgates and the Archibalds, and and different teams. We'd call, you know, and a lot of times people, uh, I, we, I joked around with Doug Kraus because he turned us down a few times, and then finally said, "Okay, come on over for a scrimmage." And this year we we finally played them in a regular season game, and but but it was, you know, at the beginning we wanted to be around some of those teams and see how they operated. Just you know, if you're planning on going to state or being a state level team. You've got to kind of see how those teams operate, and even to this day, you know, we're we have Berlin Highland on our schedule, Jackson Centers. We're going to play them next year, and we try to play you know a bunch of Division One teams that that do things the right way as well. But we want to learn, and, and through all those situations, you want to learn what you can from it.
0: Well, that, that's a r- remarkable to me. We we talked about this the first time we tried to record because I can remember. As a high school coach in the mid to late 90s, uh, Steve Williman at Liberty Benton was a guy who was kind of a de facto mentor for me, whether he knew it or not. Uh, we modeled a lot of our our approach off of the way they did things. And he was just willing to spend a lot of time with me. But late uh, in my time at Ada High School, I had talked to Steve and asked him about uh, anything that had changed for him and, and the way he was approaching things. And and he said exactly what you said about shooting is he he, he made the statement to me that later in his career, he got to the place where shooting in practice was a non-negotiable. It would not, I mean, they would, if they had to adjust a practice plan, they would shorten anything else before they cut out or touched uh, their block of shooting. And and obviously it showed with his program and you know, your, your kids, obviously uh, it, it shows that it's a priority there as well. Um, and I didn't ask you this the first time, and I'll, I'll get into some of these other things that you mentioned. I think the scheduling aspect is just fascinating. And, and I think we'll get into that. But when you look at 30 minutes of shooting a day as a minimum in practice. Uh, how do you vary that? How much of it is just kind of block practice, partner shooting? How much of it is is, is is game situation stuff? How do you go about setting up what you make sure you get done with your shooting? We go through, and we do it a few different ways. We
1: have, we do have two guns that we use um, as part of the shooting for, for different groups. Sometimes it will be um, while we're doing drills, with certain groups, we may have groups that are doing blocks of shooting and kind of rotate station-wise. Um, we we uh, have quite a few sets, or even in our dribble drive, ways that we know okay, we're gonna get we're gonna get the ball off of this pass, or we're gonna have you know a baseline pass to the corner, or um, you know we call it our Stockton action where we where we reverse pivot back and and snap a ball back to the corner we do a lot of try to do try to simulate as many of the game type shots as we can we'll have groups of you know three kids or four kids doing that uh, we do shoot a quite a few um shots off the dribble where we with our cards we'll do a lot of pick and roll work where um, they're basically making the reads off the defense, and they'll drop it a three, or they'll attack to the free throw line and shoot a dribble pull up, or or get to the 8, 12 foot mark and do, you know, some some floating finishes, or or possibly dribble pull ups as they get that deep. And then we also work on finishes, and and you know, so we we vary it. We try not to make it the same thing. You know, if we see a team that that's gonna play a lot of zone our shooting will look a little bit different than if we're playing a team that's playing man or primarily a man team. And we kind of, you know, always have an eye on our rivalry games too of, you know, Ottawa Hills plays us a certain way or Cardinal Stritch plays us a certain way. And, you know, if if they're within the next week or two, we make sure we get a lot of the the shots off of the actions that we're going to have against those teams as well. Even even if we're playing a a good non-league team, you know, those games still take priority.
0: And so when you talked about your scheduling as well um, and, and trying to schedule up and, and and maybe not schedule up divisions, even though you said, you know, you do that scheduling division four programs that are going to uh, make things hard on you and, and help you grow. Um, you and I talked back. I, I don't know. I can't remember. It was years ago, the first time we had a conversation and you made the statement that you had kind of gotten handled pretty well, uh Maybe it was Continental, I think, at the time that we were talking about, and you talked about the importance of getting a message across to your guys about how they had to play. Talk about the teams that you scheduled and maybe when it became a little easier to get the teams you wanted to compete with.
1: We went in 06. We went 19-3, and, uh, and then uh, 07, we went 20-0 regular season and, and finished third in the state. And after that, it got a little bit easier. We you know, we scheduled Several Division One teams during that era, Liberty Benton hopped on in one of the years when Kraft was there, and, and uh, you know teams like that. But it still was a little bit of a challenge, and it still to this day can be a challenge for us to get track teams or NLL teams. There are certain teams that we ask all the time, and, and I'm friends with a lot of the coaches where they say, "Well, yeah, we will glad they you," but they they just don't want to play a Division Four team. To me, it's like the basketball is good basketball, and it we you know our our. Fans love playing, you know, next year, Anthony Wayne's back on the schedule. Um, you know, teams like that that are, are good NLL teams and are good track teams. Uh, we play Northview next year as well. We're really looking forward to that, our first time ever playing them. And, and you know, it's one of those things where our kids and, and fans like it, and it, it creates, you know, I think tremendous competition. Uh, and, and we push teams, and sometimes play a little bit different than some of the teams on on their schedule, but still feel like we can be a good prep for when they're playing, um, you know, playing certain teams. So um, it's one of those things. Obviously, we'd love to play as many many of the bigger schools. You know, in certain years we're better than others. On our on our down years, you know, we may not be able to compete with some of the track teams. But we feel like when we're in a top 10 type type situation, like maybe we're going into this next year that we can compete with just about anybody around the town, and and uh, like that opportunity.
0: Well, I, I think that whole scheduling issue would, would be fascinating for, for where you guys are now. And uh, do you have any concerns at times about having to to change your schedule every couple of years? Do you feel like you're in a position now where Toledo Christian can keep the kids that enter the enter the program early in elementary and, and, and maintain that level of, of success? Or do you worry about, I mean, I, a lot of small schools go through cycles. Do you worry about that hitting your program?
1: We still go through cycles. We've been fortunate not to have it be, we I don't know, not to have it be too bad. Um, my 2014 team uh, followed a really good team, a top 10 team in 13, and, and we weren't 100% sure how that year was gonna go. And I I will say those kids grew up watching winning and being around winning and found a way to win 17 games. and, and which is at the end of the year I still to this day say that you was know, the most overachieving team I ever was around they actually made the district final uh, we had a buzzer beater in the district semi and knocked off a old Four team who was very very good that year and and it was in the game with three or four minutes to go against Ottawa Hills who had a couple of Division 1 players and they had a really good team that year and you know really could have pulled an upset if we would have knocked down a couple more shots we, we would have pulled an upset there or had an opportunity to pull an upset and but, the, but it's fun to when kids grow up and they see winning they don't want to be that group that doesn't win so even when they're not you know some of the groups that haven't have been quite as talented they found ways to win and there's been a couple of groups that that uh have won championships that I, I didn't necessarily anticipate it going into the year and uh I think a lot of that is that tradition where they want to be that team that that finds a way to win it and, and uh it's been kind of fun to watch that grow and build and and we certainly think our our scheduling in the summer and and even our non league games um, prepare us in a lot of ways for our league and, and tournament play.
0: Well, and you know we talked briefly early in the podcast about having a healthy chip on your shoulder when you feel disrespected. I don't imagine that that is hard to maintain uh, for a lot of kids. You can probably create that or maintain that pretty well. But I also think there's a a healthy amount of uh, I think there can be a very healthy amount of of quote unquote pressure. Uh, that goes along with being a part of a successful program. When you kids don't want it to to, to slip on their watch, and, and I think for the most part, if it's if it's in perspective and it's balanced, it can be a really healthy way to go through things. I was really fortunate uh, as an assistant to work with the Ohio Northern University women's program and 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 experience that. On a daily basis that the program had gotten to a level where no class you know they won 26 years in a row uh in in division three athletics that's hard to do but you know every class felt that i don't know if pressure is the right word but i think responsibility might be a better word uh, felt a responsibility to make sure that nothing slipped on their watch from a, from an execution and an effort standpoint, attention to detail. And it feels like maybe that's uh, that's a part of what's what uh, you've been able to establish with your program as well. What I'd like to do real quick, Coach, is take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about the evolution of yourself as a coach and your program in terms of on the floor, X's and O's and how you go about things day to day that maybe has changed a little bit during your 19 years in the program. All right, we will be back right after this. David McQuinney, the head coach of Leto Christian School, is my guest today. Welcome back in for the second segment of our conversation. Uh, Coach, we went through your journey uh, and into what kind of guided you into coaching and, and a lot about building your program. Uh, What I want to get into is, is I I guess, a couple of different areas here or or about three things I hope to touch on during this 30 minutes. Um, I guess the first thing I want to talk about is you've mentioned on a couple of uh, occasions how important your summer stuff is. Um, What what do you guys do? How do you approach your summer? What's your summer look like and what part of it do you feel like maybe maybe create some separation between you and some of the programs that you're competing with? Uh, or, or that you're trying to, to 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 prepare to beat in the season when you when you get to the consistent level that you guys are at, what do you feel uh, is the summer's role in creating that for you?
1: Well, a couple things. We do think summer is a big separator for us. We we feel like we're one of the harder working programs around, especially in the summer. You know, as a small school, we have a lot of kids playing spring and fall sports, so that summer, especially June time is at a time when we get a chance to kind of mold our team and really figure out where guys fit in roles and how they do that. This summer I was obviously a little bit different, and we feel like we had just an absolutely tremendous summer with all the circumstances. Uh, guys showed up, and we've we been doing workouts all the way through last week, and, and we'll do some some August workouts with – um, the guys who aren't in fall sports, but most of our players do. Uh, but but traditionally in the summer we want to play as many division one and two schools as possible, or really good division three and four schools. Um, get that competition level where you where you compete. You might get your butt kicked a few times, and and that's okay too. And and uh, but you you go see where you're at when you go play, you know, a bunch of bunch of bigger schools. And most years we go to Finley Team Camp, and they're really good about. Putting us up against, I think last year we played nine, nine games when we were there and it was all Division One. I think we had one Division Two school. Um, and, and you basically get balance each and every game and, and it makes us better as as you go when you when you play that competition um and and we you know we like to have fun with that we like to make sure that the guys enjoy those days we've had really really good turnout through the years you know we've had a few kids that have been baseball only kids were you know we had a kid that traveled and was in cincinnati for the summer a couple of years ago and we've had maybe a golfer here or a player there but for the most part we've had 90 or 95 percent of our kids have been you know major participants in the summer and that buy-in, I think, has been a, a huge difference
0: maker for us. Well, and, and the buy-in's been evident. I you know I was fortunate to be on the staff at Bluffton and, and really and in, heavily involved with the shootouts that, that Coach Neal puts together and was doing the scheduling for those for several years. And you guys came in and competed over there. Coach Neal and I just had lunch a few weeks ago, and we were talking about uh, there was a, a stretch of time there around 2005, 2006, 2007. In, in that neck of the woods – when we felt like the the quality of competition at our shootouts and, and the intensity of the competition was really surprising to us when we had you guys were there, Continental was there, Kaleida was there, um, I think Wayne Trace maybe a couple of times. Uh, Miller City would be there. but And, and we, we brought schools from, from elsewhere as well. I'm not not just focusing on those. I hate to mention anybody and leave somebody out. But you were a big part of a couple of summers in a row there at our place when the competition was just spectacular. And I, I thought what we saw from your kids was an indication that, you know, it may just be summer, but when you're competing, it matters. Yeah, I, I uh, spent a lot of time uh, in
1: that row uh, chasing continental, uh, we, we played them in the tournament like, three times and then we them find out often, uh, in the tournament, but it was case during that time to, um, they were better than us and we'd play them in the summer and they'd find a way to beat us and they, we, I mean, it just was maddening to lose to them. But, uh, Kevin Holmeyer and I actually developed a really good friendship through the years and I went to his son's wedding and we're, we're, uh, um, uh, and just just have really developed a, a um, you know a great a great great friendship. But one of the things that he taught me during that time was uh, he basically said you know hey anytime you play in the summer it matters. Anytime you play and, and your groups get together it matters. And and you know sometimes. I may people think I may take it a little too seriously in the summer, but we want to compete, and you you certainly get guys in, but you want your programs to continue to get better, and in that summer competition, you get a chance to go play a a team that might be a state qualifier or might be a regional qualifier. You want to see how you match up with them, and, you know, typically the teams that are the best programs, they're pretty darn good in the summer, too, and and they take pride, and you know, when you play an Archibald or you play a Toledo St. John's or or St. Francis or anybody along those lines, uh, you're going to you know, they don't want to lose to you and it's kind of fun when you get a chance to go and to see how you how you fare.
0: And and I, I guess that's the, the, the evolution of the summer um, with the advent of, of small group workouts and things that can happen in the fall and, and, and the evolution of the summer used to be more about how many games can you play and I think that still matters, but there's also a lot of skill development uh, that takes place in the summer. And I, I think I asked you the first time we talked, if you reflect back on your your beginning time as the head coach at Toledo christian and your evolution as a coach and the evolution of your program what what does teaching look like now and the things you focus on with your players what does it look like now compared to what it used to look like in terms of how you went about that how you go about developing your your individual players
1: yeah uh, we've we've been greatly influenced over the last handful of years really probably the last uh eight years uh, from Jason Otter. Uh, Cole went to a Jason Otter camp when he was in third grade, and I sat there and watched for seven, a seven-hour day camp and walked away and said, I feel like I know nothing about the game of basketball. There was just so many little details that he had that um, that I picked up that day. And then Cole, you know, was spending maybe four weeks a year with him through middle school and and early high school and and is actually on his way there right now to Chicago to to spend another week with him. Um, But I've worked at their Extreme Concepts camp the last four or five years and really got a chance to get entrenched in how they teach things and how they pivot, how they move and a lot of their skill work and skill development stuff we've really implemented, especially with our guards. And... They're, they're just I – mean, the way we move, our players move totally different than we did 10 years ago. And and we pass and and, and just – if somebody were to watch our game now, you can see, you know, the, the huge influence that Outer Basketball has had on our program. And, and I think it's made us a lot more skilled, a lot tougher to guard. Um, you know, certainly – we had some really good teams before we were around on our basketball, but it's it's been fun to really watch that develop.
0: And and when you talk about that impact on developing players individually, has there been a kind of a corresponding impact on the the X's and O's and the way you approach offense in general?
1: A lot more dribble drive, a lot more pick and roll. Um, you know, our kids, I, I feel like our kids have gotten a lot more skilled where. You know, we had—I think we had a game this year with two turnovers. We maybe had a couple with three. We were under five turnovers four or five times, and we—we—I wouldn't be surprised if we led the state in the least amount of turnovers for a season. I mean, we had that good of a year, and the guys can handle it. And when you can do that, even you know, we didn't have the most size last year. We weren't huge. We were—we weren't tiny, but we weren't huge. Uh, but when you handle the ball and you and the shot development stuff, you know, our guys walk in the gym every time our kids go in the gym immediately they go to their form shooting and and go through all that and you know, I'll look down sometimes and see other other teams come out and the first shot the guy kid takes is from the three you know, the volleyball line and and, you know, basically you almost never see a Toledo Christian kid do that. When they come out at, and shoot between games or at halftime or, you know, even they walk in the gym, every single one of our kids certainly that has been with us for a while, walks right up and goes through their form shooting stuff and a lot, of those, a lot of those influences that, that we picked up from honor basketball have, have, uh, have really paid off. And we've, we've had you know groups that have been in the top ten in the state in three-point shooting and, and free-throw shooting and all that. And, and a lot of that, I think, is just that discipline from shooting and then the ball handling stuff as well, I think, has really paid off and, and has made our program. You know, we become a tough out any time
0: people play us because our kids can handle the ball and take care of it, even against extreme pressure. And, and, you know, it's it's always fascinating to me because I just never timing wise when I was involved in high school coaching or when I transitioned to, to be an assistant in a small college, it was like part of me missed that the influx uh, of the dribble drive stuff in terms of teaching it and uh, not very many programs that I've been either a part of none that I've been a part of and very few that we've competed with. were real heavy into it, but it feels like most everybody has elements of it now. And, and obviously the, the ball screen is going to be a huge part of basketball for, I I think forever, because I just think that it's, it's, it's where the game has gone and everybody's more perimeter based and, and, and that, that decision-making skill set is so important, but talk a little bit about uh, teaching and installing those things. And what I'm really curious about, and I asked you this the first time we spoke is, is, how do you balance how much time you spend in maybe short sighted games like the two on two, three on three, teaching that stuff, and how quickly do you get to five on five? How much balance is there? Or how, what does that look like for you?
1: Yeah, uh, we do we do go through a lot of reads on two on two or three on three where we'll break stuff down, especially in our pick and roll game. You know, our guards that they go through they depending on what the defense do, does, if they, if they blitz us, if they hard hedge if they switch, um, there's certain things that we're looking for, and a lot of times we try to have some of that stuff scouted. You know, if you play the same teams, they might. There's certain teams that may blitz Cole, you know, to try to get the ball out of his hands, and we have certain actions that we really like in order to make teams, you know, punish teams if they do that. Um, but but really, just going through those those reads of okay, how do we think they're going to play us? We try to anticipate it, but we also want our kids. If we get caught one day and we haven't really spent a lot of time on. We weren't expecting them to blitz us, and they're blitzing us. We want to make sure our kids have repped it enough. So we, if we had to, out of a timeout or even out of just a quick, hey, they're blitzing, slide up, and, and really guys should know where to go immediately um, where we where we shouldn't have to call timeouts depending on how they're guarding us. But our kids have gotten really good at making reads and, and decisions and, and all of that. And then, then as time goes on throughout the season, we really play a lot of five-on-five five late in the year. and. I try to have the scout team do different coverages. You know, I'll tell them, hey, we're going to blitz right now or we're going to hard hedge or we're going we're gonna to soft hedge. And, and we have four or five different coverages depending on who we're playing. And we'll have them mix that up a little bit and, and allow our, our offense to make different reads off of that. And our guys has gotten, you know, especially late in the year, they tend to be really good at it. And it's um, I'm excited about this year because I have, uh, a couple senior guards and and guys who have played a lot of basketball with us that can do a lot of that and and really break down people even early in the year I
0: think. And and when you talk about getting to a lot of five on five, you know later in the year obviously you're going to do a lot more. Um, where, one of the areas that I always struggled as a coach was how how early to get into five on five. Whether it's a we call it score stop score. Some people call it here down and back. It's still controlled, but you know having two or three possessions where you get up and down. Uh, early on in my coaching career it was brutally hard for me to get to that too early because I just couldn't stand for it to be ugly uh, in a practice yep. but I, I think there's a certain amount of that would you agree that there's a certain amount of it's got to be ugly so they can figure it out because they've got to know where all 10 guys are uh, in or yep. in, 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 no matter how much you break it down two on two three on three and, and teach the concept at some point it's about all 10 guys on the floor
1: yep yeah and, and being able to read the the helpers, you know, especially if you're running pick and roll, you've got to be able to, your guards that are running those pick and rolls have, have to be able to see not only the couple guys, defenders that are in the play, but where's the help coming from, and, and you know, our guys get, I feel like we've become really, really good at figuring out, okay, the help's coming from here, and it's just an automatic, You're they know where where we're trying to attack, and if you get that, it's amazing how how difficult the pick and roll game I and mean, there's there's games that we pretty much primarily do dribble drive and pick and roll and we may not we have you know 20 some man-to-man sets but there's games we may not even run any or very very few and and a lot of that is you know if you can play and they're having a hard time guarding you know, and you get good enough guards they can get in the paint and create havoc and knock down shots you know that it's to me it's more fun to play a little bit of that freestyle of basketball um that being said there's certain times that we want to be able to get certain shots the way we want to get them and and certain teams that we have to run maybe a few more sets to take advantage of certain things but uh yeah the game for me it's really evolved kind of into more of a free flowing game and and allowing kids you know especially your best players to kind of make plays and and guys I feel like we've done a really good job of defining roles and kids understand which shots are good shots for them within our system and as long as they they abide by that and, and take good shots, we end up being pretty darn successful.
0: And, and you talked about the influence of Jason Otter basketball and the, and the extreme concept stuff that you guys really have, have gotten into and that you personally have, have gained a lot from. And there are a zillion different resources available to coaches and aspiring coaches today. Are there uh, other resources, uh, other coaches that you compete with, other coaches at higher levels of basketball? Where where do you go when you wanna really kind of dive in and try to study something? What 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 other areas have you drawn influences from or sought out to try and gain some things? I, I love watching good programs. I mean, I, I spent a lot of time
1: early in my career watching Paul Wayne teams, the Continental teams that we were against, Steve Willeman at Liberty Benton. Um, you know, even like Dave Voice, I've really enjoyed watching the Perry Brick teams through the years when they're on the local TV and, and, uh, you know, there's some good coaches that are coming up through now, the Jeremy McDonald and Matt Wortham and some of the guys that are, that are up and comers in the area. I, I think you can pick up things watching, watching good programs and how are they, how are they growing and learning and developing and guys and what, are, what concepts are they doing and even how are, how they're, you know, I, there's a lot of little details that you pick up and, and, but even, even NBA games, you know, a couple of days ago, was were watching uh, Houston play and Harden had a footwork pattern that I had never seen before. And, and, you know, it, for most of our kids, it might not make sense, but for a couple of our more elite kids, there's some things in there that could make sense for them. And, and uh, it's, it's having a little bit of, You know what? What can you pick up from you know even the pros to college? You know I love watching. I love the beeline at Michigan. I like watching Izzo and Holtman and and a lot of those coaches of how they react and how they watching how they're defending and and some of the the concepts of that you see trickle down from the pros to college. They're not always applicable, but a lot of times they are. And there's certainly certain pieces that you can uh, that you can move to the high school game, especially if you get a skilled team.
0: Well, and, and because there's so much available, and, and if you're a junkie like you are, like I am, you, you can you can see so much. And I think it's Beeline that said you can do anything you want, but you probably can't do everything you want uh, with your team. So you, you, you've had to settle on, and you have settled on an identity for your team offensively and defensively. And so for anybody who's listening who maybe hasn't seen you guys play, um, I heard Thad Mata answer a question once uh, from a reporter about – you know, what is it that you want to see from your team and how they play? And he said, I want them to be perfect. <laughs> and, he, and, he laugh, and he laughed, but he said, no, seriously, that's what we're all after. And, and then it was yep. interesting because a, a couple of days ago, I, I interviewed Brett Norris for a podcast, and Norris talked about their regional semifinal game that they won before the, the shutdown occurred. And he said that that 32 minutes, he could have taken more teaching clips from that game by itself than anything he'd ever experienced with one of his teams it just that they played just about as perfectly the way he envisions his team playing and we got into some of what that means if, if if i asked you what does 32 minutes of toledo christian basketball look like maybe from one end of the floor to the other how would you describe what you want to see from your guys
1: on the defensive end we want to disrupt you know we we talk uh, we say disrupt a lot we want to disrupt their best actions their best players their we don't want to let their their best shooter get in a rhythm, even if he's not their best player. We don't. We, there's times that I feel like if you can take their best shooter away, even if it's their third or fourth best player, uh, that that can be devastating for teams. We've done that quite a bit. Um, and certainly their best player or two. We want it, we want to make it difficult, but we don't want to let people just get comfortable and figure out, you know. It, Sometimes you see you see high school teams, they start getting in that rhythm and, and we we try to make sure if we feel like a team's getting in a rhythm against us that we're disrupting. We wanna be extremely physical in the paint. We don't wanna let anybody get middle us, you know, just not go up, we wanna box out, we wanna win the rebounding battle every night. Um, you know, I kinda of have a formula that, that I look at and it is amazingly accurate, but the teams that get the most shots and I you know, I look at turnover margin and I look at rebounding margin, and those two in particular, um, if, we, if we win those two, we win the game almost every single time. It's, it's almost a statistical anomaly. Um, you know, if you end up getting –
0: And and offensively, if, if you if you get to see your team be what you want your team to be, describe what that would look like for you.
1: Tremendous ball movement, making great reads, taking care of the ball. You know, we had we had a lot of games, several games last year where where we were under five turnovers and I think the one game we had two turnovers, I think we had zero going into the fourth quarter when we when we subbed. And uh, you know, when you start getting that kind of efficiency, it's you know, it's that that to me is what what I hope for. Um, we played in the regional final in 09, and I thought we played about as clean of a game as we could. We had three turnovers uh, the whole game. I think Kaleida had five, so it was just a tremendously well-played game on both ends. And you know, you look at that. You know, like even though we lost right at the end, still one of those games. I felt like we just played absolutely fantastic Calida Christian basketball, and I can walk away and be proud of that game for you know the rest of my career. And you, you know, as long as we play the right way and we take great shots, you can kind of live with that result. What I don't want is teams to be able to speed us up. You know, it's very, very frustrating to me if, if somebody is able to speed us up and turn us over. And we, we've we been fortunate the last few years to not really have that be an issue. Um, but, you know, who knows after this group graduates, can they speed the next group up? You know, we're, we're certainly going to work with our young guards. So that doesn't happen. But that's that's a huge part of it. And a lot of that is how we pivot, how, you you know, getting kids to, to stay calm, even when you have lengths coming at you and traps coming at you. And we we do spend a lot of time on that in practice and try to try to make sure our guys are comfortable with all of that.
0: Okay, Coach, so just one final question. And really, um, after the, the time that you've spent 19 years as a head coach building the program to the level that you have and, and remarkable success, Talk a little bit, if you would. I mean, you, you've you grown up in a situation where you, you attended high school in, in a faith-based environment. You went to Taylor University, a very strong faith-based component to, to the education at, at Taylor. Uh, you've been the head coach at, at Toledo Christian now for 19 seasons, and, and you've built a great program. And And in doing that, it can be a little bit all-consuming. This whole gig of coaching can be a little bit all-consuming. Talk, if you would, a little bit about balancing your coaching with your full-time career with faith and family and, and how that ties into the experience you've had coaching your own son.
1: I, I've, you know, I consider coaching a family issue. You know, we, we, uh, my wife, uh, on the first day of tournament every year, my wife and kids have signed a card, Colby being part of it, maybe not that last couple of years, but I get out. I don't know that I even get a card for my birthday, but I get one for the first day of tournament every year. Um, it, it matters you know my wife there's literally there's been times her hands I look down and they're bloody during the tournament or after and all the wheels because she's clapped so much and it's you have that type of support it's hard to beat that but you know my son grew up being a ball boy and even from a very young age just loved the game and some of my most vivid memories are him you know just watching over the over the railing when he was four and five years old and he just couldn't take his eyes off of it And, and it's been extremely rewarding watching him grow up through the programming system and seeing them go from ball boy to middle school player and some of my best memories that I'll never forget are his first varsity game with him running over to the bench and kind of giving me the little uh, head and saying hey, let's go. And, and I knew he was saying, Hey, we've been, we've been do- looking at this for a long, long time and let's enjoy this. And, and uh, it's been a tremendous last couple of years with him. You know, certainly I'm hoping and praying that we get uh get the next one, but uh, um, we've had a, we've had a great couple of years and, and it's been, absolutely the time of my life. The last, last really three years in the gym with him has been fantastic and and uh, really hopeful for this year as well.
0: Well, certainly we're all hopeful for that. I, I, I can't imagine being in the position of coaching my son. I've got a son that's a high school senior coming up in, in here in the fall as well. And uh, as much as I look back on what people lost when things shut down last year, and I, and, and again, had a hard time imagining how difficult that would be, I would have never dreamt at that point in time last March that we might be talking about the possibility of of, of kids losing an entire senior season uh, of the sports that they love, whatever the sport is. And it's it would be in some ways it would be a little bit devastating to have that happen. And, and you know, obviously we all hope and pray that it doesn't. But uh, I'll be watching from a distance for sure uh, to, to see how things go here and, and, and hopefully get to watch you and your program and your son uh, get to do the things that you guys love. Uh, Heading into uh, what I hope will be a great opportunity for a wonderful year for you guys. Now, I did not, I don't think I said this when we recorded the first time, and you've listened to a few of the podcasts, I think, but I I wait till the end because I figure I might as well. Uh, You know, I can be a big Toledo Christian basketball fan, but I've asked the guests on the podcast how they feel about possibly sending a t shirt my way. Uh, I, I'm, what I'm doing is I'm trying to get a collection of how many ever I can from the first year of the podcast here through this summer and in the fall. I would love to walk around up here in in, in Ada, Ohio, with a Toledo Christian basketball shirt. If you think you could spare one, we we, we have uh, we
1: have plenty. We'll, we'll just let me know the size and text me your address, and we'll make sure uh, we make.
0: <laughs> that would be great. I will definitely. And and, and I, I said you know two and a half months ago when I started the podcast, I told everybody I'm a large, but. This quarantine's lasted so long, I think XL might be the way I have to go, Dave. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Hey, listen, I just want to tell you, I appreciate you taking the time to join the, the podcast. I'm sorry we had to do it twice, but I think it turned out really good. And, and I, I told you the last time, after listening to some of the things we talked about, there are going to be some, some uh, topic-specific podcasts I want to get into, whether it's defensive stuff, offensive stuff. Uh, you know, core values, program building, team building, whatever it might be, I'm really hopeful that you'll agree to do another podcast maybe down the road as we as we get yeah. going. And I certainly would love to talk with you if, if the season, you know, looks like it's going to happen. I'd love to talk with you about your team and your prospects for the year.
1: 100%. Yeah, you're welcome up to Toledo Christian anytime. Let me know. We'll get you in the door, or, or uh, I'm happy to talk on the podcast anytime. Appreciate you having me.
0: Yeah, have Have a great rest of your summer. We'll talk soon. Yep, you too. Take care. Thanks so much for listening again today. If you would like to listen to previous or future episodes of the Talkin' Hoops with Coach John Cook podcast, you can listen on Spotify or Google Podcasts, as well as several other podcast platforms. Please review, rate, and subscribe. And if you would like to support the podcast financially, you can do so at anchor.fm backslash john-cook. That's J-O-N-C-O-O-K-0 anchor.fm backslash John dash cook zero. Thanks again. Hope to talk hoops with you again real soon.